Chapter 7 of the Interesting Narrative of the Life of Olauda Equiano. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ezwa. The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Olauda Equiano by Olauda Equiano. Chapter 7 The Author's Disgust at the West Indies form schemes to obtain his freedom. Ludicrous disappointment he and his captain meet with in Georgia. At last, by several successful voyages, he acquires a sum of money sufficient to purchase it, applies to his master, who accepts it, and grants his manumission to his great joy. He afterwards enters as a free man on board one of Mr. King's ships, and sails for Georgia, impositions on free negroes as usual his venture of turkeys sails for montserrat and on his passage his friend the captain falls ill and dies every day now brought me nearer my freedom and i was impatient till we proceeded again to sea that i might have an opportunity of getting a sum large enough to purchase it i was not long ungratified for in the beginning of the year 1766, my master bought another sloop, named the Nancy, the largest I had ever seen. She was partly laden, and was to proceed to Philadelphia. Our captain had his choice of three, and I was well pleased he chose this, which was the largest. For from his having a large vessel, I had more room, and could carry a larger quantity of goods with me. Accordingly, when we had delivered our old vessel, the Prudence, and completed the lading of the Nancy, having made near three hundred per cent, by four barrels of pork I brought from Charlestown, I laid in as large a cargo as I could, trusting to God's providence to prosper my undertaking. With these views, I sailed for Philadelphia. On our passage, when we drew near the land, I was for the first time surprised at the sight of some whales, having never seen any such large sea monsters before, and as we sailed by the land one morning, I saw a puppy whale close by the vessel. It was about the length of a wherry boat, and it followed us all the day till we got within the capes. We arrived safe and in good time at Philadelphia, and I sold my goods there chiefly to the Quakers. They always appeared to be a very honest, discreet sort of people, and never attempted to impose on me. I therefore liked them, and even after chose to deal with them in preference to any others. One Sunday morning while I was here, as I was going to church, I chanced to pass a meeting-house. The doors being open and the house full of people, it excited my curiosity to go in. When I entered the house, to my great surprise, I saw a very tall woman standing in the midst of them, speaking in an audible voice something which I could not understand. Having never seen anything of this kind before, I stood and stared about me for some time, wondering at this odd scene. As soon as it was over, I took an opportunity to make inquiry about the place and people, when I was informed they were called Quakers, 
I particularly asked what that woman I saw in the midst of them had said, but none of them were pleased to satisfy me. So I quitted them, and soon after, as I was returning, I came to a church crowded with people. The churchyard was full likewise, and a number of people were even mounted on ladders, looking in at the windows. I thought this a strange sight, as I had never seen churches, either in England or the West Indies, crowded in this manner before. I therefore made bold to ask some people the meaning of all this, and they told me the Reverend Mr. George Whitfield was preaching. I had often heard of this gentleman, and had wished to see and hear him, but I had never before had an opportunity. I now therefore resolved to gratify myself with the sight, and I pressed in amidst the multitude. When I got into the church, I saw this pious man exhorting the people with the greatest fervor and earnestness, and sweating as much as I ever did while in slavery on Montserrat Beach. I was very much struck and impressed with this. I thought it strange I had never seen divines exert themselves in this manner before, and I was no longer at a loss to account for the thin congregations they preached to. When we had discharged our cargo here, and were loaded again, we left this fruitful land once more, and set sail for Montserrat. My traffic had hitherto succeeded so well with me, that I thought, by selling my goods when we arrived at Montserrat, I should have enough to purchase my freedom. But as soon as our vessel arrived there, my master came on board, and gave orders for us to go to St. Eustatia, and discharge our cargo there, and from thence proceed for Georgia. I was much disappointed at this, but thinking, as usual, it was of no use to encounter with the decrees of fate, I submitted without repining, and we went to St. Eustatia. After we had discharged our cargo there, we took in a live cargo, as we call a cargo of slaves. Here I sold my goods tolerably well, but not being able to lay out all my money in this small island to as much advantage as in many other places, I laid out only part, and the remainder I brought away with me neat. We sailed from hence for Georgia, and I was glad when we got there, though I had not much reason to like the place from my last adventure in Savannah. But I longed to get back to Montserrat and procure my freedom, which I expected to be able to purchase when I returned. As soon as we arrived here, I waited on my careful doctor, Mr. Brady, to whom I made the most grateful acknowledgments in my power for his former kindness and attention during my illness. While we were here, an odd circumstance happened to the captain and me, which disappointed us both a good deal. A silversmith, whom we had brought to this place some voyages before, agreed with the captain to return with us to the West Indies, and promised at the same time to give the captain a great deal of money, having pretended to take a liking to him, and being, as we thought, very rich. But while we stayed to load our vessel, this man was taken ill in a house where he worked, and in a week's time became very bad. The worse he grew, 
the more he used to speak of giving the captain what he had promised him, so that he expected something considerable from the death of this man, who had no wife or child, and he attended him day and night. I used also to go with the captain, at his own desire, to attend him, especially when we saw there was no appearance of his recovery, and in order to recompense me for my trouble, the captain promised me ten pounds, when he should get the man's property. I thought this would be a great service to me, although I had nearly money enough to purchase my freedom, if I should get safe this voyage to Montserrat. In this expectation, I laid out above eight pounds of my money for a suit of superfine clothes to dance with at my freedom, which I hoped was then at hand. We still continued to attend this man, and were with him even on the last day he lived, till very late at night when we went on board. After we were got to bed, about one or two o'clock in the morning, the captain was sent for, and informed the man was dead. On this he came to my bed, and waking me, informed me of it, and desired me to get up and procure a light, and immediately go to him. I told him I was very sleepy, and wished he would take somebody else with him, or else, as the man was dead, and could want no farther attendance, to let all things remain as they were till the next morning. "'No, no,' said he, "'we will have the money to-night. I cannot wait till to-morrow. So let us go.' Accordingly I got up and struck a light, and away we both went, and saw the man as dead as we could wish. The captain said he would give him a grand burial, in gratitude for the promised treasure, and desired that all the things belonging to the deceased might be brought forth. Among others, there was a nest of trunks of which he had kept the keys whilst the man was ill, and when they were produced, we opened them with no small eagerness and expectation, and as there were a great number within one another, with much impatience we took them one out of the other. At last, when we came to the smallest, and had opened it, we saw it was full of papers, which we supposed to be notes, at the sight of which our hearts leaped for joy, and that instance the captain, clapping his hands, cried out, "'Thank God! Here it is!' But when we took up the trunk, and began to examine the supposed treasure and long-looked-for bounty. Alas, alas, how uncertain and deceitful are all human affairs! What had we found? While we thought we were embracing a substance, we grasped an empty nothing. The whole amount that was in the nest of trunks was only one dollar and a half, and all that the man possessed would not pay for his coffin. Our sudden and exquisite joy was now succeeded by a sudden and exquisite pain, and my captain and I exhibited, for some time, most ridiculous figures pictures of chagrin and disappointment. We went away greatly mortified, and left the deceased to do as well as he could for himself, as we had taken so good care of him when alive for nothing. We set sail once more for Montserrat, and arrived there safe, but much out of humour with our friend the silversmith. When we had unladen the vessel, and I had sold my venture, 
finding myself master of about forty-seven pounds, I consulted my true friend, the captain, how I should proceed in offering my master the money for my freedom. He told me to come on a certain morning, when he and my master would be at breakfast together. Accordingly, on that morning I went, and met the captain there, as he had appointed. When I went in, I made my obeisance to my master, and with my money in my hand, and many fears in my heart, I prayed him to be as good as his offer to me, when he was pleased to promise me my freedom as soon as I could purchase it. This speech seemed to confound him. He began to recoil, and my heart that instant sunk within me. What? said he. Give you your freedom? Why? Where did you get the money? Have you got forty pounds sterling? Yes, sir, I answered. How did you get it? replied he. I told him very honestly. The captain then said he knew I got the money very honestly, and with much industry, and that I was particularly careful, on which my master replied, I got money much faster than he did, and said he would not have made me the promise he did, if he had thought I should have got money so soon. Come, come, said my worthy captain, clapping my master on the back, come, Robert, which was his name, I think you must let him have his freedom. You have laid your money out very well. You have received good interest for it all this time, and here is now the principal at last. I know Gustavus has earned you more than a hundred a year, and he will still save you money, as he will not leave you. Come, Robert, take the money. My master then said he would not be worse than his promise, and taking the money, told me to go to the secretary at the register office, and get my manumission drawn up. These words of my master were like a voice from heaven to me. In an instant all my trepidation was turned into unutterable bliss, and I most reverently bowed myself with gratitude, unable to express my feelings, but by the overflowing of my eyes, while my true and worthy friend, the captain, congratulated us both with a peculiar degree of heartfelt pleasure. As soon as the first transports of my joy were over, and that I had expressed my thanks to these my worthy friends in the best manner I was able, I rose with a heart full of affection and reverence, and left the room, in order to obey my master's joyful mandate of going to the register office. As I was leaving the house, I called to mind the words of the psalmist, in the hundred and twenty-sixth psalm, and like him, I glorified God in my heart, in whom I trusted. These words had been impressed on my mind from the very day I was forced from Demford to the present hour, and I now saw them, as I thought, fulfilled and verified. My imagination was all rapture, as I flew to the register office, and in this respect, like the Apostle Peter, whose deliverance from prison was so sudden and extraordinary that he thought he was in a vision, I could scarcely believe I was awake. Heavens! Who could do justice to my feelings at this moment? Not conquering heroes themselves, in the midst of a triumph, not the tender mother who has just regained her long-lost infant and presses it to her heart, not the weary hungry mariner 
at the sight of the desired friendly port, not the lover, when he once more embraces his beloved mistress after she had been ravished from his arms. All within my breast was tumult, wildness, and delirium. My feet scarcely touched the ground, for they were winged with joy, and like Elijah, as he rose to heaven, they were with lightning spared as I went on. Everyone I met I told of my happiness, and blazed about the virtue of my amiable master and captain. When I got to the office and acquainted the register with my errand, he congratulated me on the occasion, and told me he would draw up my manumission for half price, which was a guinea. I thanked him for his kindness, and having received it and paid him, I hastened to my master to get him to sign it, that I might be fully released. Accordingly, he signed the manumission that day, so that before night, I, who had been a slave in the morning, trembling at the will of another, was become my own master, and completely free. I thought this was the happiest day I had ever experienced, and my joy was still heightened by the blessings and prayers of the sable race, particularly the aged, to whom my heart had ever been attached with reverence. As the form of my manumission has something peculiar in it, and expresses the absolute power and dominion one man claims over his fellow, I shall beg leave to present it before my readers at full length. Montserrat, to all men unto whom these presents shall come, I, Robert King, of the parish of St. Anthony in the said island, merchant, send greeting. Know ye, that I, the aforesaid Robert King, for and in consideration of the sum of seventy pound current money of the said island, to me in hand paid, and to the intent that a negro manslave, named Gustavus Vassa, shall and may become free, have manumitted, emancipated, enfranchised, and set free, and by these presents do manumit, emancipate, enfranchise, and set free the aforesaid negro manslave, named Gustavus Vassa, for ever, hereby giving, granting, and releasing unto him, the said Gustavus Vassa, all right, title, dominion, sovereignty, and property, which, as lord and master over the aforesaid Gustavus Vassa, I had, or now I have, or by any means whatsoever I may or can hereafter possibly have over him the aforesaid negro, for ever. In witness whereof I, the above-said Robert King, have unto these presents set my hand and seal, this tenth day of July, in the year of our Lord, one thousand seven hundred and sixty-six. Robert King, signed, sealed, and delivered in the presence of Terry Leguay, Montserrat, registered the within manumission, at full length, this eleventh day of July, one thousand seven hundred and sixty-six, in Liberty, Terrelegay, Register. In short, the fair as well as black people immediately styled me by a new appellation, to me the most desirable in the world, which was free man, and at the dances I gave my Georgia superfine blue cloths made no indifferent appearance as I thought, some of the sable females, who formerly stood aloof, now began to relax and appear less coy, but my heart was still fixed on London, where I hoped to be ere long, so that my worthy captain and his owner, my late master, 
finding that the bent of my mind was towards London, said to me, "'We hope you won't leave us, but that you will still be with the vessels.' Here gratitude bowed me down, and none but the generous mind can judge of my feelings, struggling between inclination and duty. However, notwithstanding my wish to be in London, I obediently answered my benefactors that I would go in the vessel, and not leave them, and from that day I was entered on board as an able-bodied sailor, at thirty-six shillings per month, besides what perquisites I could take. My intention was to make a voyage or two, entirely to please these my honoured patrons, but I determined that the year following, if it pleased God, I would see old England once more, and surprise my old master, Captain Pascal, who was hourly in my mind, for I still loved him, notwithstanding his usage of me, and I pleased myself with thinking of what he would say when he saw what the Lord had done for me in so short a time, instead of being, as he might perhaps suppose, under the cruel yoke of some planter. With these kind of reveries I used often to entertain myself, and shorten the time till my return, and now, being as in my original free African state, I embarked on board the Nancy, after having got all things ready for our voyage. In this state of serenity we sailed for St. Eustatia, and having smooth seas and calm weather, we soon arrived there. After taking our cargo on board, we proceeded to Savannah in Georgia, in August 1766. While we were there, as usual, I used to go for the cargo up the rivers in boats, and on this business I have been frequently beset by alligators, which were very numerous on that coast, and I have shot many of them when they have been near getting into our boats, which we have with great difficulty sometimes prevented, and have been very much frightened at them. I have seen a young one sold in Georgia alive for sixpence. During our stay at this place, one evening, a slave belonging to Mr. Reed, a merchant of Savannah, came near our vessel, and began to use me very ill. I entreated him, with all the patience I was master of, to desist, as I knew there was little or no law for a free negro here. But the fellow, instead of taking my advice, persevered in his insults, and even struck me. At this I lost all temper, and I fell on him and beat him soundly. The next morning, his master came to our vessel as we lay alongside the wharf, and desired me to come ashore that he might have me flogged all round the town for beating his negro slave. I told him he had insulted me, and had given the provocation by first striking me. I had told my captain also the whole affair that morning, and wished him to have gone along with me to Mr. Reed to prevent bad consequences, but he said that it did not signify and if Mr. Reed said anything, he would make matters up, and had desired me to go to work, which I accordingly did. The captain being on board when Mr. Reed came, he told him I was a free man, and when Mr. Reed applied to him to deliver me up, he said he knew nothing of the matter. I was astonished and frightened at this, and thought I had better keep where I was than go ashore and be flogged round the town without judge or jury. I therefore refused to stir, and Mr. Reed went away, swearing he would bring all the constables in the town, for he would have me out of the vessel. 
When he was gone, I thought his threat might prove too true to my sorrow, and I was confirmed in this belief, as well by the many instances I had seen of the treatment of free negroes, as from a fact that had happened within my own knowledge here a short time before. There was a free black man, a carpenter that I knew, who for asking a gentleman that he worked for, for the money he had earned, was put into jail. And afterwards this oppressed man was sent from Georgia, with false accusations, of an intention to set the gentleman's house on fire, and run away with his slaves. I was therefore much embarrassed, and very apprehensive of a flogging at least. I dreaded, of all things, the thoughts of being striped, as I never in my life had the marks of any violence of that kind. At that instant a rage seized my soul, and for a little I determined to resist the first man that should offer to lay violent hands on me, or basely use me without a trial. For I would sooner die like a free man, than suffer myself to be scorched by the hands of ruffians, and my blood drawn like a slave. The captain and others, more cautious, advised me to make haste and conceal myself, for they said Mr. Reed was a very spiteful man, and he would soon come on board with constables and take me. At first I refused this counsel, being determined to stand my ground, but at length, by the prevailing entreaties of the captain and Mr. Dixon, with whom he lodged, I went to Mr. Dixon's house, which was a little out of town, at a place called Yimachra. I was but just gone when Mr. Reed with the constables came for me, and searched the vessel, but not finding me there, he swore he would have me dead or alive. I was secreted about five days. However, the good character which my captain always gave me, as well as some other gentlemen, who also knew me, procured me some friends. At last some of them told my captain that he did not use me well, in suffering me thus to be imposed upon, and said they would see me redressed, and get me on board some other vessel. My captain, on this, immediately went to Mr. Reed, and told him, that ever since I eloped from the vessel, his work had been neglected, and he could not go on with her loading, himself and mate not being well, and, as I had managed things on board for them, my absence must retard his voyage, and consequently hurt the owner. He therefore begged of him to forgive me, as he said he had never had any complaint of me before, for the many years that I had been with him. After repeated entreaties, Mr. Reed said I might go to hell, and that he would not meddle with me, on which my captain came immediately to me at his lodging, and, telling me how pleasantly matters had gone on, he desired me to go on board. Some of my other friends then asked him if he had got the constable's warrant from them. The captain said no. On this I was desired by them to stay in the house, and they said they would get me on board of some other vessel before the evening. When the captain heard this, he became almost distracted. He went immediately for the warrant, and, after using every exertion in his power, he at last got it from my hunters. But I had all the expenses to pay. After I had thanked all my friends for their attention, I went on board again to my work, of which I had always plenty. We were in haste to complete our lading, 
and were to carry twenty head of cattle with us to the West Indies, where they are a very profitable article. In order to encourage me in working, and to make up for the time I had lost, my captain promised me the privilege of carrying two bullocks of my own with me, and this made me work with redoubled ardour. As soon as I had got the vessel loaded, in doing which I was obliged to perform the duty of the mate as well as my own work, and that the bullocks were near coming on board, I asked the captain leave to bring my two according to his promise. But to my great surprise, he told me there was no room for them. I then asked him to permit me to take one, but he said he could not. I was a good deal mortified at this usage, and told him I had no notion that he intended thus to impose on me, nor could I think well of any man that was so much worse than his word. On this we had some disagreement, and I gave him to understand that I intended to leave the vessel. At this he appeared to be very much dejected, and our mate, who had been very sickly, and whose duty had long devolved upon me, advised him to persuade me to stay in consequence of which he spoke very kindly to me, making many fair promises, telling me that, as the mate was so sickly, he could not do without me, and that, as the safety of the vessel and cargo depended greatly upon me, he therefore hoped that I would not be offended at what had passed between us, and swore he would make up all matters when we arrived in the West Indies. So I consented to slave on as before. Soon after this, as the bullocks were coming on board, one of them branded the captain, and butted him so furiously in the breast, that he never recovered of the blow. In order to make me some amends for his treatment about the bullocks, the captain now pressed me very much to take some turkeys and other fowls with me, and gave me liberty to take as many as I could find room for but I told him he knew very well I had never carried any turkeys before, as I always thought they were such tender birds that they were not fit to cross the seas. However, he continued to press me to buy them for once, and what was very surprising to me, the more I was against it, the more he urged my taking them, insomuch that he ensured me from all losses that might happen by them, and I was prevailed on to take them but I thought this very strange, as he had never acted so with me before. This, and not being able to dispose of my paper money in any other way, induced me at length to take four dozen. The turkeys, however, I was so dissatisfied about, that I determined to make no more voyages to this quarter, nor with this captain, and was very apprehensive that my free voyage would be the worst I had ever made. We set sail for Montserrat. The captain and mate had been both complaining of sickness when we sailed, and as we proceeded on our voyage they grew worse. This was about November, and we had not been long at sea before we began to meet with strong northerly gales and rough seas, and in about seven or eight days all the bullocks were near being drowned, and four or five of them died. Our vessel, which had not been tight at first, was much less so now, and though we were but nine in the hole, including five sailors and myself, yet we were obliged to attend to the pumps every half or three quarters of an hour. 
the captain and mate came on deck as often as they were able, which was now but seldom, for they declined so fast that they were not well enough to make observations above four or five times the whole voyage. The whole care of the vessel rested therefore upon me, and I was obliged to direct her by my former experience, not being able to work a traverse. The captain was now very sorry he had not taught me navigation, and protested, if ever he should get well again, he would not fail to do so. But in about seventeen days his illness increased so much that he was obliged to keep his bed, continuing sensible, however, till the last, constantly having the owner's interest at heart. For this just and benevolent man ever appeared much concerned about the welfare of what he was entrusted with. When this dear friend found the symptoms of death approaching, he called me by my name, and when I came to him, he asked, with almost his last breath, if he had ever done me any harm. "'God forbid I should think so,' I replied. I should then be the most ungrateful of wretches, to the best of sorrow by his bedside. He expired, without saying another word, and the day following we committed his body to the deep. Every man on board loved this man, and regretted his death, but I was exceedingly affected at it, and I found that I did not know, till he was gone, the strength of my regard for him. Indeed, I had every reason in the world to be attached to him, for, besides that he was in general mild, affable, generous, faithful, benevolent, and just, he was to me a friend and a father, and had it pleased Providence that he had died but five months before, I verily believe I should not have obtained my freedom when I did and it is not improbable that I might not have been able to get it at any rate afterwards. The captain being dead, the mate came on the deck, and made such observations as he was able, but to no purpose. In the course of a few days more, the few bullocks that remained were found dead, but the turkeys I had, though on the deck, and exposed to so much wet and bad weather, did well, and I afterwards, gained near three hundred per cent on the sale of them, so that in the event it proved a happy circumstance for me that I had not bought the bullocks I intended, for they must have perished with the rest, and I could not help looking on this otherwise trifling circumstance as a particular providence of God, and I was thankful accordingly. The care of the vessel took up all my time and engaged my attention entirely, as we were now out of the variable winds, I thought I should not be much puzzled to hit upon the islands. I was persuaded I steered right for Antigua, which I wished to reach, as the nearest to us, and in the course of nine or ten days we made this island, to our great joy, and the next day after we came safe to Montserrat. Many were surprised when they heard of my conducting the sloop into the port, and I now obtained a new appellation, and was called Captain. This elated me not a little, and it was quite flattering to my vanity to be thus styled by as high a title as any freeman in this place possessed. When the death of the Captain became known, 
he was much regretted by all who knew him, for he was a man universally respected. At the same time, the sable captain lost no fame, for the success I had met with increased the affection of my friends in no small measure. End of chapter 7